1: Welcome to Dear Hank and John! That's the wrong podcast. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as
0: I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank.
1: It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, uh, yeah. as you could tell by my intro, I'm a little bit hungover right now, and maybe mm. a little bit slower than usual. Catherine and I both recently had our birthdays, and this weekend, to celebrate them, our friends took us to this gorgeous... Vineyard in Missoula, where people who can afford $10 glasses of wine get together and commiserate and talk about all of the difficulties and hardships of their life, which I guess is why they call it a winery.
0: <laughs> Did you actually go to a winery? I did. (laughs) Okay, that makes me feel better about the joke. I'm trying to just lean in and laugh at your jokes instead of resisting them. Well, I worked on that one for a while.
1: I like. I felt a little bad about it because I didn't want. I don't like. It was actually really lovely, and we did want that much, but I just needed a joke. Um, Yeah, we did. It was a good joke about various things.
0: Hank, can I read you some reviews that have Uh, just come in in the last five minutes? Before. (laughs)
1: Before you do, I just want to say that the the intro that I accidentally started with, that's the intro to our Patreon-only podcast, This Week and Stuff, uh, or yeah. half of it, before I realized, which you can uh, be a part of at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. Anyway, John,
0: your book sure. is
1: out! Congratulations! Yeah, and,
0: and by the way, that's what we're focusing on today, not the <laughs> Patreon for This Week <laughs> Stuff. So if you make only one Green Brothers-related purchase this week, don't join our Patreon. <laughs> Buy my book. Our Patreon doesn't come with a book. The book it's does. True. Uh-huh. So as we're recording this, it's the day before the book comes out, which is like, in general, in in my experience of, of, of this being the sixth time I've done this, the the, the most challenging, like em- emotionally challenging day because right, right. nothing has happened yet, but things are about to happen or maybe uh-huh. not, you know? Yeah. And it's... My stress level has been extremely high, but then I got this review from the San Francisco Chronicle, and it's so, it's so nice. So I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you, like the way that you do when you are a little brother and you want to make your older brother finally feel proud of you. And just because you're younger doesn't mean that you're not basically the older brother. I see. As a premise, it's clever, and in the hands of another writer, the conceit might stop at cute. But green is a ravenous and tender polymath. Can we talk about the fact, by the way, that oh ravenous God. and tender don't generally <laughs> really? get followed by polymath? No. no, or or by each other. Anyway, I'm a <laughs> i am I But like, honestly, that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me.
1: Yeah, you um, need I'm, to change I, your Twitter bio
0: right now. N- n- I'm not sure I need to change my Twitter
1: bio, but I know what you mean. Um, can I put? Can I change my Twitter bio to ravenous and tender polymath? Because I've stolen a lot from you over the years. Might as well you take can't. this too. you can't
0: but you can say um brother of noted ravenous and tender polymath john green if you want to that's okay. okay these tiny essays are like winding mountain passes that lead you through unexpected landscapes both in subject and in emotion his reviews create a collage of factoids and a window into one person's longing fears and hope And then the ending is so nice. The book makes the wondrous small, see his essay on Halley's Comet, and the small wondrous, like his ode to scratch and sniff stickers. The Anthropocene Reviewed is the perfect book to read over lunch or to keep on your nightstand whenever you need a reminder of what it is to feel small and human in the best possible way. That was so nice. That made me so happy. And it was just really because I ha, you know almost no one has read the book, like certainly nobody I don't know has has read the book it's just uh for that to be the first thing that I get to read about it was really um just lovely so thank you good. person at the San Francisco Chronicle who wrote that review I um, won't Elizabeth
1: I won't. Elizabeth Greenwood John it was Elizabeth Greenwood
0: well, yeah, it was really nice thank you um Because I used to be a book reviewer, I'm uncomfortable with like thanking book reviewers because when people would email me and thank me, I would be like, listen, I didn't write that because I wanted to make you happy. (laughs) Exactly. And I don't want you to get mad at me next time when I don't Uh like your book. Uh I think we should just not have a personal (laughs) relationship.
1: That's not, this is not what this is about. (laughs)
0: Oh, so at least the initial reviews are good. Hank, let's answer some questions from our listeners after we remind them one more time that The Anthropocene Reviewed is available now. Signed copies are everywhere books are sold and also everywhere books are lent. Check out your local library. So, John, now it is time to ask
1: uh, some questions from our listeners, but not before I remind everyone that The Anthropocene Reviewed is available wherever books are store- uh, wherever books are sold, not stored, and also probably most places where they're stored, and also including places where those books are lent, like your local library.
0: All right, Hank, let's read our first question. This one comes from Autumn, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my name is Autumn, and I am confused. Growing up, my mom always made me eat the crust of my bread because, quote, it is the healthiest part of the bread. But what how? I? It's made of the same ingredients as the rest of the bread, right? Unless there's something fundamental I fail to understand about bread making. It's just cooked a little more. So how is it healthier? Not the other seasons, autumn. Uh, I mean, it's not
1: exactly chemically the same, I will right. say. Uh, and there was a study back in like t- almost 20 years ago now that like looked at the different ingredient, the different nutrients, or the different chemicals, not even okay. nutrients, chemicals in the crust versus in the bread. And there are right. some different chemicals, and some of them are antioxidants, and so you can make the case that maybe these are is slightly healthy. It's not. It's not. It is nutritionally the same as the rest of the bread, but it is food that people and our planet worked hard together to create, also yeah. a plant. The plant also worked very hard to create it. And so... We should eat it because it's food. And so we tell ourselves and our children lies and we say that it's the healthiest part of the bread and you should eat it, despite the fact that it's not. It's a lie, but it's a lie in service of the fact that we should eat food that it was th- that is edible. And in fact, right. I my son makes me cut his crusts off his fricking peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I
0: eat them. Me too. It's in food. fact, it's one of my favorite meals is my kids' <laughs> peanut butter and jelly crusts. I also yeah. think that sometimes the nutritional profile of crust in bread is changed further by the fact that the crust does have different ingredients in it like certain kinds uh, of bread true. have yeah. you know like egg uh on them or whatever an egg wash or even like, like are dusted with little nuts right but but at its core uh-huh when people say the crust is healthier even when they're pointing to this one study from 20 years ago it's important to note that the difference is so marginal. Oh, yeah. No, not and we get we, we get obsessed with these really w- truly uh, insignificant differences all the time when it comes to mm-hmm. nutrition, mm-hmm. rather than focusing on where we should actually focus, which is like uh, eat eat food, pay attention to how your body feels w- when you eat food, and period. You are absolutely right. And,
1: and, and it is, it is also very true that like the way that we imagine what is healthy is, it, it's very weird. It's and like the, like the, it's the white egg, brown egg thing where you feel like a brown egg is healthier. Like right. in what, where, where did that happen? How did this occur? Where people well, like it, a it, bunch of chicken farmers had to switch chickens so that they could like have a different color of egg that is nutritionally identical.
0: Yeah. It's wild. We live in a world where branding is so important that it's hard sometimes for us to disambiguate branding yeah. from reality because- Yeah,
1: yeah, and we're pattern searchers. So we're, yeah. you know, and it's we're like, what f- is true is that potato, there are more vitamins and minerals in potato skin than in the potato part of the potato. Yes. And so they like went from that to being right. like, ah, eggs, brown eggs must have more because you don't even eat the shell. It's not even part of the part you eat.
0: Right. But on the other hand, like it could also go, you also see this in the whole thing about drinking eight glasses of water per day, which is completely made up, but is is based on something, right? It's based on drink water. (laughs) (laughs) When you are thirsty. That actually is good advice. Now, the vast majority of people can just drink water when they're thirsty, but there is some very small subset of people who Mm -hmm. have to pay attention to the amount of water they drink and when they drink it and so on. But Mm -hmm. for almost everyone, almost all of the time, you drink water and that's good. And that's the end (laughs) of the sentence. (laughs) Like I remember when we were doing 100 Days, um, we Mm -hmm. went to these nutritionists and to people who had studied all of the most recent compelling studies in nutrition science. And one of the things we learned is that a lot of these studies are based on relatively short time periods with relatively small groups of people. Um, and so they're various
1: and often very similar people.
0: Yeah. And so their results can be compelling without necessarily really reshaping the way we understand nutrition. Mm -hmm. And that has all kinds of downstream effects. But I, I I was like, so we want to do, we, I want to be maximally healthy for a hundred days. So like, what does the evidence strongly suggest I should do? How much water should I drink to maximize my health? And yeah. I'll drink that amount of water every day for a 100 days. Yeah. And the experts were like, uh, what, huh? You, you should drink when you're thirsty. <laughs> and I was it's like, but like, I should only drink water, right? And they were like, no, I mean, you sh- yeah, do drink water, but I don't, if you like to drink coffee, that's fine. Yeah. But doesn't it dehydrate you? No. A little it bit, be, but just drink a little, a little bit of water.
1: Yeah. It, it's <laughs> like it's slightly, it, it will hydrate you slightly less than water. It will not dehydrate you. It's not like drinking the ocean. It is almost as if water in particular is so vitally important for your body that
0: your body has really good systems for telling you when to consume it. Right. But I do think like we want, and this is partly, I think gets into this sort of collective delusion around nutrition and health, but we want nutrition to be able to solve all of our health problems. Right. Or to be able to, we want nutrition to be the key that unlocks all of human health forever. Yeah. Yeah. Not
1: even like, not even like our fitness problems, but we also want to cure cancer with it and we want to not get COVID with it. And like, you think like, I'm putting this stuff in my body. Shouldn't it be able to control all of these things that I can't control? And it's just, no, it's
0: unfortunately it cannot. Yeah. Alas, it really doesn't. And and that's kind of a tough thing, and and also like uh, that message doesn't get spread that widely, partly because it's not a particularly lucrative message. No, it's know? not an interesting <laughs> one either. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also not that interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so so stories around wellness and around like oh, you know, tr- life transforming because of eating certain supplements or something. And and there there may be anecdotal experiences of that that are very true, and I don't want to deny the rea- the reality of those people's experience. But 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 mm-hmm. when looked at on a macro level, there's just not very strong evidence for, for much of it. So yeah, yeah. Drink water when you're thirsty. Eat the crust of the bread not because it's healthier, but because it's food. It's food. We worked hard to create it. Uh, and John, this next question
1: comes from Jason, who asks, dear Hank and John. A dear John letter is a letter to a romantic partner announcing mm. the end of a relationship. So yes, I am we'll come aware.
0: Come... <laughs> Believe me.
1: <laughs> what would a dear Hank letter be? Dear Hank and John seems like the right place to ask this question. What do we all need to tell Hank with argonauts, Jason?
0: What does it? Do? I think What's we need to te- get to the question part of this question. But first, okay. I just need to say something, uh-huh. which is that everybody who emails me. And they begin the email by dear John. And then there's a paragraph about how it's funny to be writing a dear John letter because that's a breakup letter, but this isn't a breakup letter. It's a letter to a person named John. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but (laughs) I've, I've heard the joke.
1: Right. Well, and also at this point, do we even use that phrase anymore?
0: I feel like the only time we use that phrase is in a Nicholas Sparks movie that came out 10 years ago. Yeah. And then when people are emailing me, those yeah. are the only times I see the, <laughs> the, the the colloquial meaning of Dear John used.
1: I have to shout out to anybody who remembers this theme song, which for some reason is in my head, mm-hmm. Dear John... Dear John, by the time you read these lines, I'll be gone. It was like a... Oh, God, what is that? It was like an 80s sitcom. Is it from My Two Dads? No, it was was a show
0: called Dear John. Oh, no way. Yes! No, I would remember if there was a show called Dear John. Yes, and it had that guy in it. That guy who's
1: still famous. He's still doing stuff. No yes no way it's judd hirsch oh my god it has that guy in it he's he's in everything he's still doing it that guy
0: apparently dear john was on american television from 1988 to 1992 four of my peak television watching (laughs) years totally i have no memory of this program i'm sure i saw it a million times because when you sang that song it it something came back to me yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that that's Part of the reason why in the 1990s, like when my friends and I would write letters, they would always be like, it's right. not that kind of Dear John letter. Right. Oh, I wonder if it's good. John, for the Project for Awesome this year, do you want to do a commentary
1: of the of Dear John? Because you can just watch it on YouTube. It is just available.
0: Yeah. You know, like the streaming rights to friends sold for $50 billion or whatever. <laughs> but the streaming rights to Dear John, like they couldn't get a five cent offer. So they were like, I guess we'll just upload them.
1: Right. Right. Uh, The first, the top comment on Dear John Pilot Season 1, Episode 1 is from Tom Willett. He says, I am Tom Willett. I was Tom in this series. It's great to see the pilot again. The cast was fabulous to be with for the four seasons of the show. The entire crew and production company was all first class. We did this at Paramount. The pilot was originally written for the UK, where the series began. We worked on this from 1988 until 1992. I wish they would release this on DVD. Thanks for posting this eight years ago.
0: Ah! (laughs) that's great
1: thank you tom thank you tom willett (laughs) I was That's Tom, Tom in this me, series. It makes
0: me think that like 40 years from now, when people start like re-uploading Vlogbrothers videos to whatever exists yeah. after the collapse of civilization and YouTube falls apart, we're going to come across like a re-uploaded Vlogbrothers video and be like, oh, hey, thanks for posting this. I remember- <laughs> Thank we, you for sharing this. We made this in my basement in Indianapolis for 17 years in the before times. And it was so fun. <laughs> then of course, uh, there was the tremendous amount yeah. of destruction that, that, that we wrought. We're really sorry about <laughs> about that and uh, <laughs> nice, nice thanks for posting. Anyway I gotta go now because I have to uh, light the ring of fire that I use each evening to protect my home from the zombie <laughs> horde but it's really nice to see these old videos <laughs> Glad we're glad we're getting the internet back online. Looks good.
1: (laughs) Thanks for saving those.
0: Yeah. Thanks to whoever downloaded Vlogbrothers videos onto a hard drive and saw this whole zombie apocalypse thing coming. (laughs) My God. Boy, I tell you what's not on a hard drive somewhere is
1: almost all Vlogbrothers videos.
0: Yeah. Gosh. Makes me think we should go through and download them.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. John, do you want to actually answer this question at all?
0: Yes, because I think okay. that's a great question, and I'm sorry we got <laughs> sidetracked by Deeply. early 90s TV. Yeah. What would a Dear Hank letter be? I've you got i You want me to answer
1: the question? Because I know exactly I, what it would be, because I receive I, them all the time. Dear Hank, where does the wax go when the candle no,
0: burns? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, a Dear Hank letter has to be like a universal letter. To and any I have Hank. If a Dear yeah. John letter is, this just isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving. I right. think a dear Hank letter is, I have long harbored a deep love for you that I am now revealing in this oh, letter.
1: Oh, okay. Is it like, does it come along with a dear John letter where it's like, you're leaving one person no, for no, the no, best no, no, friend? No, 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 okay.
0: no, no, no. The okay. dear Hank letter is the letter that you write where you're like, right. I'm. I'm just gonna say it. I've I'm been thinking it. it for 15 yeah. years. I'm just, I'm going to reveal these feelings to, to my best friend and we'll see how it goes. And then of course the Dear John letter is the letter that you get in response. That's not what I, <laughs> That's
1: that's not, I don't know that that's, what, like if I could pick, here's what I pick for any letter to be a Dear dear Hank letter. It would yeah. be a letter that you write to a person who you want nothing from, but want, and and they are relatively minor player in your life, but a person who you see in the real world yeah. and it is just letting them know that you appreciate something about them, but it has to be someone who you want nothing from. So right. a dear letter is like right. to, to, the, to the person that you see at the grocery store sometimes who has very good shoes or, yes. or like the person who has a very clever license plate a personalized license plate and you leave it on their front of their window and you say, I just wanted you to know I see this license plate around town and it makes me smile every time. I want nothing from you. And that's Maybe a dear you don't Hank include
0: that sentence because nothing sounds more like you want something from them than like, it sounds almost right. like a threat. Leave like, it I don't want anything from you. Why would you think that? Just say, yeah, I, I really, I do like that idea. That's a great yeah. idea for a dear Hank letter. And I, I have to say, I've been writing more thank you notes in the last few years. And one, somebody in the Anthropocene Reviewed email told me once that thank you notes are a double mercy because mm. they bring mercy to the writer and to the reader and i thought that was so beautiful and so true like i feel better after i write a thank you note mm. so i love the idea that it's a thank you note but it has to be a thank you note from somebody even if you dig deep down into your heart you do not want anything from it is a true it is a true thank you note
1: yeah that is that is good and i i it is a thing that i i know that you do much more effectively than i do because I don't form habits that are healthy, Thank you very much,
0: all right, Hank, we have another question. This one comes from Julia. It gets right back to the heart of when we started this whole of business. Dear John and Hank, I've been binging Vlogbrothers videos lately, and I was reminded of the fact that John was the one who suggested the idea of a collaborative video blog. Let's just take a second to be grateful for that. I mean, where would we be, Hank? <laughs> right a little thank where you know, right now. Where would
1: we be? John's writing a thank you note to himself, so that's good.
0: And it's a a dear Hank letter because I really don't want anything of myself. I just want to say (laughs) thank you. My question is, how did John, a person who is generally anxious and stressed about public speaking and interacting with others, become excited about blasting videos and images of himself to the entire internet? Pumpkins and penguins, Julia. I don't really know. I don't really get it. Uh, But it was very different back then.
1: Like... It was never like a moment when it all suddenly felt like lots of people were looking at us because there wasn't really a moment where our audience grew dramatic. Like now with TikTok, you have like many people have like eight videos on their TikTok and one of them has a million views and the rest of them have a hundred. And whereas when we like in the sort of beginning times of this, it was like every video would get the same number of views forever. It was what it felt like. Mm-hmm.
0: maybe slightly
1: yeah. increasing over time.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first like 150 or so Vlogbrothers videos we made got an average of around four, 400 or 500 views. And so I know it's hard to like think back to those times, but mm-hmm. I didn't think I was... I, I, so there's two things at work. One is that um, I, am, I am anxious in social situations, but making a video blog is not a social situation. <laughs> It's it something that you do extremely alone. controlled. Yeah. yeah, you do it alone in your basement, and you have complete control over every facet of the process. And that was very appealing to me. I do mm. not like being on television uh, because it is not like that. And then number two is that um, it was just smaller. Like the world of the internet was smaller, and it and it felt mm. like a world that was separate from the real world. Yep. And so I think both those things were at work. But like, to be clear, just because you're an anxious person doesn't mean that you aren't like desperate for outside affirmation. And I think, you know, part of the reason I started writing books probably was because I wanted to tell stories to an audience, but I wanted to be able to like not, you know, have to go outside to do that, not have to perform to do that. But the other thing is that I like performing. Like, I I do get very anxious before Hank and I go on stage if we're performing. And 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 sometimes it can be really difficult for me. But I enjoy it. I get a lot out of it. Like, I love, I mean, I've said this before, but I love being on stage with Hank because it's, it, it's so unpredictable. I have no idea what's going to happen. There's a terror in that, but there's also a wonder in it. And I also know that, like, I'm on stage with someone uh, who is, like, you know, going to save me if I start to bomb. Like Mm -hmm. I I do feel pretty intensely anxious when it's just me on stage and there's not much, you know, I don't really get a big kick out of that really, but I'll do, I don't know. I'll do it if I need to do it for work. Like if it's an important part of selling a book or something like I, before we started Vlogbrothers, I did it to to help sell books and I don't know. It wasn't something I really sought out, but I, I was okay doing it. So in my case, anxiety and OCD manifests itself in in certain ways. And for a long time, videos just weren't even part of that. Like my life making videos was completely separate from my life experiencing anxiety. And then that changed and it was a difficult thing to deal with Mm -hmm. the change. Right yeah, um, because it, it did begin to become a source of anxiety for me and and it took much, much longer to make a Vlogbrothers video because it took much longer to like say the words that were in the video. and you know, but that's okay. Like I yeah. just make space to accommodate it. And so I still really love making Vlogbrothers videos. It brings me a lot of joy. I also have to sometimes accommodate this like uh, thing that I do where I repeat what I say or like can't get through a sentence. Because I uh, get nervous or trip up or whatever, but that's fine. I've made space for it.
1: Yeah, it's funny because like the things that I I would think would be the cause of the greatest stress and anxiety for you are not necessarily those things. Which just goes to show that like the ways that I try to imagine other people's brains is always going to be a little bit or a lot wrong. Um, you know, I would I would imagine yeah. that just the idea of like putting ideas out there that people might. Misinterpret, or that they, or that like they might be wrong, like that would be the thing that would be the like tr- like chief focus because that's mm-hmm. like sort of what I like I have the most anxiety about, and I know you have mm-hmm. anxiety about that too, but it isn't the same kind of obsessive anxiety that you have around other things.
0: Yeah, and I I think like that that can be a difficult thing for people who aren't inside the experience to imagine. But the example that I always use is that the White River is really, really filthy. It's profoundly contaminated. I've gotten Giardia from it twice, (laughs) but I do not have anxiety about kayaking on the White River. Because for one thing, I know that if I get Giardia, I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've done that. I know what that's like. So, you know, I have all of these, I have health fears. I have all of these obsessive fears about contamination, but I'm able to do this thing that doesn't make sense to people Mm -hmm. A lot of people, because they're like, well, you have an obsessive fear of contamination. Why would you stick your butt in the most contaminated place in Indianapolis? And the answer is because uh, the 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 worries are are not rational.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) No, no. If it made sense, it wouldn't be a disorder.
0: Right. Yeah. Like my disordered thinking is disordered. Yeah. Whereas my thinking okay. about the White River is very reasonable. I'm like, yeah, it's <laughs> dirty. But like, oh, it's going to be lovely to be down there. Right. John, I have a question
1: I want to 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 answer because it's fascinating. And I did not know this until okay. Boki looked it up when she saw the question. Um, and it's from Bailey who asks, Dear Hank and John, why do cats and dogs always sniff in short little sniffs? Why don't they take one big sniff the way that we do when we smell something? Your mm. friendly building and loan... Uh, the uh, Bailey. Uh, so John, it yeah. turns out we take one big sniff to breathe things in because our sniff areas are on the way to the lungs, whereas dogs and cats take lots of little sniffs because their sniff areas are separate things that exist off to the side. So air can go two different oh. ways. It can go into the sniff areas and it can go all the way down into the lungs to breathe. At about 12% of the air goes into sniff areas. And then they breathe out through a separate hole, kind of, it's the same hole. But so like, you see the dog nose has like a, the, the nostrils and then there are like slits that kind of curl up to the side mm-hmm. that makes them yeah. super cute. That That's like the area that air is exhaled out of where it is inhaled through the holes. And this allows mm. them to store uh, air in the sniff areas and have it sit there for longer so that they can sniff, so smell the, the stuff that's like sitting in there rather than us having to like breathe in constantly to have more of the same air going past our sniff areas before we blow it all out with air that just smells like our lungs.
0: Wow. That is mind blowing. Yeah. It would be so different to be a dog. Uh, it would be very different to be a dog.
1: Though nope. I there, there's a dog I follow on TikTok that makes me think it's not that different.
0: <laughs> yes, tick, Have you seen TikTok Bunny? is the great, the great equalizer. <laughs> hey, can I ask you a question about this? Yeah. So one time, this only happened one time, but one time I went to like a wine tasting, okay? Uh-huh. And the wine tasting guy, I, uh, the sommelier, is that the word? Yeah. Well, The sommelier yeah. Yeah. was like- so I want you to smell the wine. I want you to inhale deeply and mm-hmm. smell the wine. And then and then they always ask you, like, it's a pop quiz. Like, what right. do you smell? And the only answer that I ever have in my heart is I smell wine, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm trying to smell other stuff, but like really it smells so much like wine. It's hard to pay attention to anything else that it might smell like. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then he said, and then we like, you know, we swish the glass around and then he wanted us to take short- a quick sense like like we're like we're a doggy i've always wondered why he did that and i did i was like well when i do that you know what it still smells like wine (laughs) but i did it and i always wondered like why he had us do that if there was anything to it or maybe he was just like these people are such rank amateurs that i can tell them anything (laughs) you should have been like look sir
1: i'm not a dog i don't have a separate sniff pocket Yeah, I should have. (laughs)
0: That's because you you really one thing you definitely want to do at a wine tasting is uh, annoy the sommelier.
1: I this happened to me once. I had a glass, and I usually have nothing to say. I'm like, "Wow, this tastes like grapes," (laughs) and uh, what it has overtones of grape. And then I said, "Oh, this like I drink," and I was like, "You know what that tastes and smells a little like is gunpowder," and the guy said, "No." And I was like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like yeah. mad at me. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'm wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um I How usually you I, I usually try to express myself rather than with words with sounds, like, mm. 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 Oh. mm. mm. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Sure. Oh. Uh, that, and then I, I I feel like I can like if I taste one wine and then I taste another wine, I can be like, um, "That this is not the same." Yes, yes, I can be like, <laughs> "I have noticed a difference." I can't, I can't articulate it super well, but one of them is sort Absolutely. of more, and the other is sort of less. One of them tastes like big, and the other one tastes a little smaller. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how it works. It's all about metaphor.
1: I've, for clarity, I've been in one wine tasting in my life. So I
0: think I was there with you. Yeah, you were. That was with my yeah. our parents. God, that was a fun trip. It was fun.
1: You know, John. This this conversation has reminded me of one of our sponsors, which is oh. Separate Sniff Pockets.
0: Separate yes. Sniff Pockets. They mm. are fantastic. Uh, only dogs and sommeliers have them. That is one kind of virtual reality headset I would definitely sign up for. (laughs) If they could like make me have a more sophisticated sense of smell, I would, I mean, if that's the Oculus three, take my money. Today's podcast is also, of course, brought to you by Tom Willett, who played Tom on the 1980s and 1990s sitcom, Dear John. (laughs) Oh, Willett. This
1: podcast is also brought to you by John's Press Tour for the Anthropocene Reviewed. It is about to begin, and John is going to be stressed out all day. And so enjoy your day, John. You're going
0: to do good. I wish it was only one day. (laughs) You're going (laughs) to... (laughs) Okay. <laughs> that, would be, True. that would be nice. And yeah. I do try to remind myself that uh, there were several books where I did not have press tours. And uh, no one came <laughs> I, I have a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. Just yeah. the fact that a newspaper wants to talk to me is great news. And um, so I'm trying to focus on that that side of things. Lastly, our podcast is, of course, brought to you by Dear Hank Letters. Dear Hank Letters, uh, an exciting new product coming soon from DFTBA.com that will allow you to write thank you letters to people from whom you genuinely want nothing. Because, Hank, I think it's one thing to have an idea, but it's not really an idea until there's a capitalist motivation for it. And so I think we need to release the first ever uh, Dear Hank letter note cards no, if we want this idea God, to take no, off.
1: No, 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 no,
0: no, I agree. Not least because we can't be advertising anything when we are advertising <laughs> the Anthropocene <laughs> Review. <laughs> John, we have a Project
1: for Awesome message. It's from Rachel and Ben from Tulsa to Judo, Leo, Elena, Elijah, and Sky. To our curious little nerdfighters, keep striving to understand the world in all of its beauty. Your mom and dad are proud of who you are and who you are becoming. You've lived through interesting times, and yet you stand full of wonder. Keep going. Continue to love well and live fully. The world will be stronger for it. John and Hank, thanks for impacting Another Generation
0: for Good. That's very sweet. Also, you appear to have
1: a a great number of children.
0: Also, phenomenal names. So Judah, Mm -hmm. Leo, Elena, Elijah, and Sky, we wish you well. Mm -hmm. We're sorry that we didn't make a better world for you, but we have every confidence that you are going to make a better world for those who come after Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I really want to ask this wonderful question that came in from Caitlin that I do not know the answer to and which has real import for what I want my future as a person to look like. Caitlin writes, Dear John and Hank, in your last podcast, you mentioned that the Martian sky is filled with dust and has a brown daytime sky vibe. I'm allergic to many things on Earth, particularly pollen and dust, Hmm. and I was sad to learn about the extensive dust on Mars. (laughs) I had hoped when we moved to Mars that I would no longer have allergies and would therefore be able to discontinue my allergy medication. I assume this is the main reason people want to visit Mars. Um, And so I thought it was very important, Hank, that we get to the bottom of the question. Hmm. Will we have allergies on Mars? Um yeah, so there there has been some thinking about this. I, I think mostly in the
1: sort of science fiction world, often what you hear uh, is that there are there are still allergens, but there are fewer. And the big problem is when people come back to Earth, they are not used to the allergens of Earth and so so mm. have tremendous allergies on Earth. Um, and I think that that's just sort of like that's part of a way that science, like it's a trope in science fiction, to emphasize that we become not Earth people when we leave Earth, and coming right. back to the Earth, there there's sort of a tension. Some some science fiction. Authors argue that, like, ultimately when you come back, you are finally being exposed to the world that you were built for and you are very comfortable in it and you find that you've kind of been uncomfortable your whole life versus other sci-fi authors who make the case that, like, you will – and this is certainly the case when it comes to changes in gravity um, – that when you come back to Earth, it will actually be really terrible and you will be incapable of of functioning here. Um, but – so that's what I know from, like, sci-fi uh, books, which talk about allergies a surprising amount – Now, the dust that you are allergic to on Earth is pretty, is definitely not, as far as I know, it is likely to be not just dust generally. It's likely to be a component of the dust. There are many different components of the dust. There could be several different components of the dust that you might be allergic to. But a lot of dust is just like pieces of carpet and furniture and, and clothes. And if you're not allergic to your own, like the cotton in your shirt, then you're not allergic to some of the dust because a lot of the dust is just cotton particles. Now, it may be that you're mostly allergic to dust mites, in which case you would not be allergic to the outside of or the leavings of dust mites. You would not be allergic to the outside of uh, Mars, but you would absolutely be allergic to the inside of whatever habitat you were living in because we're taking dust mites with it with us whether we want them or not. And the same goes for uh, mold. We're taking mold with us whether we want it or not. and And oftentimes... Uh, like even on the, on space stations, mold has been a problem already mm-hmm. existing space mm-hmm. stations that we have now. So mm-hmm. you will, you will likely be allergic where you end up. It will probably not be the Martian dust finds that you will be
0: allergic to. It will be the stuff that we bring with us. So I have bad news regardless. Also, at least as I understand it, It's not like you're going to be able to get that allergic to the Martian dust because you're not going to be interacting, (laughs) you're not going to be like breathing it in very often because you're Uh, not going to be like romping around Mars, you know, breathing in the air that isn't there.
1: Actually, you probably will be breathing in the dust quite a bit because there will not be a way to keep it out of the habitats because it is so sticky and tiny. That it will, it gets, it'll get into the airlock and then I'll get from the airlock into the habitat and it will be, it will be a whole battle to fight. And it's also, now another problem is that the, du- like, it, I would be more worried about the components of the dust, which may include like, it may maybe be sharp. Um, and so like, a, like asbestos where it mm-hmm. c- could harm your lungs um, mm-hmm. or, you know, if there's like Chemical compounds in the dust, like perchlorates, that would be bad to breathe in. This is one. Th- this is one of the main concerns with when it comes to uh, when it comes to Mars is that th- there are some chemicals in the dust that uh, humans are not well suited to encountering regularly. So it, it may be that it may be that Mars will be kind of off
0: the table because of that. But
1: we're operating right now as if it will not be the case. So we'll see.
0: I'm really excited for humans to go to Mars, and I think it will be one of the great achievements of our species. Top, Probably top five. Sure. But I will say that the more you talk about what human life on Mars might look like, the more I think, wow, is Earth a good planet. I mean, <laughs> what a great planet. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, it... it no one talks about the toxicity of the soil on Mars, which does seem like a really big deal. Like to, yeah. like toxic soil uh, is a big problem. And this isn't just a problem for like growing plants in it. Like you could not grow potato plants in Martian soil unless you like washed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but like also you just like you got to do I have to have systems for keeping it out of the areas that people exist inside of because it's right really yeah. for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I Earth is. Ju- I I have been thinking this more and more. Like, I really have been trying to orient myself toward wonder because it just makes life so much more enjoyable. And mm-hmm. in those moments when I'm able to do it, I'm like, "Wow, this is great!" Like, <laughs> like, like this river is amazing. If we if we like discovered the White River on Europa tomorrow, everyone would be like, oh my God, what a river. Oh, oh, whoa. Oh, Wait, so your, your, your big yeah. concern is that it, it's got a little too much nitrogen and, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, like a little smidge of Giardia here and there. Like, <laughs> G- S- yeah, <laughs> Giardia on, on the Europa the would be a very big deal. <laughs> <Would> be
1: the <laughs> yeah, coolest, exactly. most I'll, exciting Giardia we've ever seen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be hilarious if the first life. That is discovered on a planet outside of Earth is literally just E. coli. I mean, that stuff really—it really can't <laughs> make it anywhere.
1: A, it is not impossible. There are there is <laughs> there are people who who think that that is maybe yeah. even likely. We will we will find life somewhere else, and it'll have straight up mitochondria, and we'll be like, oh, dang it, that's yeah. just us well, again.
0: <laughs> well, we'll be like, oh, dang it, but we'll also be like, oh, whoa, yeah, it's also uh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. there is no version of finding life that is definitely from another planet that is not incredibly exciting. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's one true. version, which is that it's the last moment for humanity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it then spreads and just yeah. like eats all of our eyeballs until we're... Yeah. Or
0: no, I I didn't mean like microscopic life. I meant like if, if sentient life comes here and they're like, yeah, I mean, this is a good planet, but y'all have not done a great job with it. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, this is ours now. Thanks. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and settle in on this one. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard, but your core is uh, got a
1: lot of iron and we're, (laughs) we need to build a Dyson sphere. So we're going to need that.
0: Yeah that that's a bad version but like all the versions where humanity discovers life on on another planet or finds like strong evidence of life that we're able to observe closely is incredibly exciting because yeah. it could we don't know what we don't know about extraterrestrial life and anytime something like that happens it's so exciting i just want to have one moment of like that in my life where there is such big news about our understanding mm. of the universe that that yeah that my mind just it could happen you got some time left i know well hopefully we'll see or maybe it's just the white river maybe it's just the white river which is also that that's also that's also been a, a great joy hank yes i want to talk about the news from afc wimbledon it's always exciting it's never not exciting But I just have to acknowledge that the football team that I have loved since I was a child, Liverpool Football Club, had a game uh, over the weekend. (laughs) It It was wild. In which it's a game that we had to win in order to have a chance to qualify for the Champions League. And so with the last kick of the game, we brought the goalie up, which is something that teams do, but it never works. Like, yeah, Liverpool like been hockey. a football club for 130 years. So it was
1: a tie? It was, like, tied? It was tied. W- w- was it an exciting game before that? Sorry. Can I, can I get a little more context?
0: Was it 0-0? Like, had you been losing? Had you been winning? It was 1-1. We went down 1-0, and then Mohamed Salah tied the game. So it was 1-1 okay. in the 94th minute. It was going to be oh the God, last okay. kick of the game, this corner kick. So they brought up the goalie, Allison, a Brazilian guy who's an, a lovely person and also has had... A horrible, horrible year. He lost his father in a terrible accident Mm. um, earlier, uh, just a couple months ago, and he hasn't been able to go home uh, to Brazil, Mm. so he hasn't been able to grieve with his family, and it's just been very, very difficult. And so the other piece of background here that's important is that Liverpool have been a football club for like 130 years, and no goalies have ever... Scored (laughs) for Liverpool in that 130 years. That's how much this whole like, bring up the goalkeeper for the last kick of the game, that's how much it never works. Except that it did work. It did work. Allison scored not just a goal, but a really magnificent goal. It was beautiful.
1: Afterwards, yeah. it, ex- it was not. It was not an accident. It no, was not like oh, was oh a- there was another body there. He's like he's like eight inches taller than everybody else down there. Yeah. It looked like to me. He's a big guy. He is. And and the head the header was just like textbook. Oh, it was the phenomenal. goalie. The goalie
0: for the other side just stood there. Was yeah. like, well, not getting that. <laughs> it went into the side netting. The Liverpool, yeah. I mean, I have never felt like that. I, I was. You were watching live? House. Yeah, I was alone in oh the house, God. thank God. And I was so discouraged and I was so frustrated sure, sure. that we weren't going to qualify for the Champions League and all that means for the club financially. And I was so mad. I was mad about this whole European Super League, which distracted the club at a critical time. I was just mad. Mm-hmm. And then Allison scored this goal, and I just, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know that I will ever feel like that ever again. I, I don't even know what happened inside it's of like, my body. It's like they found E. coli on Europa. It was, it was. It was that, <laughs> it was just pure joy. So happy for Allison. 94
1: and I, in like in like 13 and 20 seconds. Oh, was, how I mean, long yeah, do the games the- last? That's was, longer was, than they said it was going to last.
0: I know. I know. It was ma- it was pure, pure, pure magic. But let's talk about AFC Wimbledon, Hank. Um, <laughs> okay. America's favorite third-tier English football team is once again going to be a third-tier English football team thanks to some absolute uh, end-of-season heroics by manager Mark Robertson and the boys. couple big, big pieces of news. Number one, 19-year-old wonder kid Ayub Asal has has signed a new professional contract with Wimbledon that will take him through 2024, which is key because if he continues to get better at the current rate that he's getting better, there is no way he is going to play (laughs) for us much longer. So I'm very grateful to him for signing that contract. Uh, The other thing is that even though the league season is over – Wimbledon are still participating in this thing called the uh, London Senior Cup. It's like uh, the under twenty three team, kind of the the younger kids are playing in this uh, this this knockout cup competition. And we have reached the finals of that uh, competition. In the in the quarterfinals, we beat you cannot make this up a team called Cockfosters. That's real. Yeah. And in this, I'm sure that's a place in England, because why wouldn't it be? And in the semifinals, we beat uh, noted footballing powerhouse Crayvilly Paper Mills Football Club. Now we move on to the finals. This is the first chance Wimbledon has had to win any silverware in some time. Uh, This would be, you know, like a proper trophy. I, it's not quite as good as like winning the Premier League, but it, it it is something, and I am very excited to see if we can pull out a win in the London Senior Cup. <laughs> okay, good. Um, is that how likely is that? <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty likely. Like last year, it was won by Peckham Town. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we could I feel like we could beat the likes of <laughs> they Peck did it. Town. You can do
1: it. <laughs> yeah
0: okay. <laughs> this is the stuff I have to have to keep me going uh, yeah. during the the long, silly season that is the off season. So what's the news from Mars? They don't quit playing in the summer. No, they don't. uh
1: boy, i I um, I've just sp- spent the last uh, the last while you were talking there just watching Allison Becker score that goal over and over again. Um, and
0: it's amazing. <laughs> oh, that, it's so magical. <laughs> that, and I don't know who this and other guy is. he just collapses is. into tears. Oh yeah, it's no, just, he's crying. He's like pointing to the sky, talking to his dad.
1: Drama. I can tell he's talking to his dad and it's just, it's something else. Um, but yeah. Yeah, looks, he,
0: he, he lifts his fingers up to the sky and he says in Portuguese, he says, that's for, I mean, I can yeah. barely say it now. Yeah. He said, that's for you, dad. Yeah.
1: Um, Is this other some other Liverpool player like dives in and like comes right in front of Becker and has this tremendous leap and he's headed straight for the ball. And he's like, yeah, and it just like doesn't even touch him yeah, (laughs) right over. And then like just giant Allison Becker is just there with his head in the exact right spot. Uh, It worked. It worked. It feels so good. I don't even care. And it
0: feels so good. I uh, is just magical, just magical. Yeah, the guy who was running for it and like took that great leap was Nat Phillips, uh, our hardworking uh, central defender. But <laughs> he, he really flew; is, he mean, was flying, and he just—he did. He was—he <laughs> was doing everything right, whereas Allison was just like, "I think I'm going to let the ball hit my head, and then I think the ball's going to go in the net." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, bless sports.
1: Uh, Ooh, well, sports. there's also good news in Mars. Um, so right. there, there has, so far, as of uh, as of a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, only ever been one country who's managed to land a rover on Mars. It's been the U.S. We've done it a number of times. We've been it's it is a hard planet, and as a species, we are getting better at this. And as of last week, as of now, there is now a a second nation that has put a rover on Mars. It's the Zhirong rover that uh, the Chinese National Space Administration has uh, landed on Mars. It's been orbiting the planet for a while. So Tianwen-1 is the orbiter that is still orbiting. And since February, it's been like taking pictures to make sure it's got a good spot for this thing to land. Went down, landed safely. It is, uh, the, the mission is going as planned. It looks good. You will, uh, if you look at Zhurong, uh, you will think that's familiar because it looks very much like Spirit and Opportunity, which is mm. sort of just a convergent evolution. Like if you want a thing to fold up into a certain shape, you want a mast with scientific instruments on the top of it. You want six wheels that are sort of, like have independent transmission. And so like all of that stuff sort of comes together to make a rover that looks similar and as a similar shape the solar panels also kind of uh function similarly so it's a mm. but it's another opportunity to to survey another area of mars it's a big planet so any opportunity uh you know it's not it doesn't have the same sort of suite of instruments as perseverance of course which is like probably at least 10 times the mass of geron mm. um but uh mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's got another opportunity to learn about a different spot on Mars, get more beautiful, high-resolution pictures. And uh, it will be working for at least 90 uh, Martian days, which is basically the same as the Earth day, a little bit longer. And it's got cameras and it's got some spectroscopy spectroscopy equipment. Uh, It's going to be studying the weather. It's going to be studying some rocks. And it will be working with its orbiter to send all that data back to Earth. And it is the, China's first Mars landing and the first rover landing of any country except for, uh, except for the U.S. It's basically the first successful landing from any country except the U.S. Uh, Russia had a lander that landed successfully but then broke within a day. Which was a bummer.
0: Uh, but oh, that is a bummer. Yeah.
1: Uh but it looks it looks like we're 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 figuring it out.
0: I'm very happy that there is another rover on Mars. Is this probably going to be the last one? Because the I assume yes. Mars and Earth are getting further apart, right. and so, so it's like, harder uh, yeah, to send them. Yeah.
1: So John arrived at the same time basically as Perseverance because the the there, there's sort of a two-year window when you can launch. So that this is the last of the spate of missions uh and you know but mm-hmm. but of course like their missions continue and there will be news from both of these rovers as we go on.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting and it's great to have more people getting involved in space exploration and interplanetary travel. Am I correct in assuming that it will be another like year year and a half before we can make the next round of these Yeah uh earth to mars missions yeah i think a, i think a year and a half will be the the time when
1: you will hear about a bunch more mars missions launching and and we know what those are but um like it's not like they plan them in less than two years but uh um, right so yeah we we are aware of which missions those will be but they will not be launching in the i think that they will be launching in 2022 or 23
0: i'm excited
1: i'm excited too those launch times are very exciting and busy and it's crazy that they sort of also all arrive at the same time and they're like hey we're here we're back mars how's it
0: going launch we got close (laughs) together again so (laughs) yeah i love it Oh, well, Hank, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. You can email us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We really appreciate your questions. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this week and stuff. I hope you like the Anthropocene Reviewed book. Hey, uh, if you buy the book, by the way, um, go to theanthropocenereviewed.com, a website that I am very glad now that I didn't buy, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because two nerdfighters have made a wonderful Website there, uh, their names are Jim and Rhett, and they built a website that allows you to post where your book ended up. And also, if you take a picture of your signature, I can see your signature, which will make me really happy because I like to look at them and rank them in my mind. <laughs> uh, but it also no, not, allows not you yours, to...
1: Not like the signature that... Not your signature, but the one that you received from
0: John. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry. My signature <laughs> that, that, that is now yours because that's, that's how the transaction works. Uh, but it also allows you to review the place where you are reading the book. Like, review the town or the state uh, or or the whatever community in which you are reading the book, and that those have been so lovely to read. It's from. It's really great, and I'm just so grateful to to them for making that. So if you have a chance to uh to share where your book ended up and what it looks like it would make me super happy theanthropocenereviewed.com john this podcast
1: is edited by joseph tunamedish it's produced by rosianna hals rojas and sheridan gibson our communications coordinator is julia bloom our editorial assistant is daboki chakravarti the music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the Great anarola and as they say in our hometown don't don't forget forget to be awesome.
0: awesome